All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. This is the Axiom Podcast, episode number 58. My name is Devin Dash, and I have a special guest joining us today uh, from Tampa. He is our, our partner, consultant in Tampa. Cameron Earhart is joining the show today. Cameron, thanks for, for joining us. Yeah, excited to be on here. And I say joining us, but the reality is <laughs> Joey is not here today. So if you are if you're nervous about that and you would like to just stop listening now, then feel free. I would totally understand. I would. But if you want to have a laugh and then get some good insights into the topic today, then stick around and and we do think that you're going to enjoy our topic today. Uh, Cameron, what are we talking about today? Talking about sales, which is uh, always a fun subject, a lot to talk about. So, uh, yeah, excited to jump into it with you. Yeah, me too. Me too. I know that your your background is in sales. You have an extensive background in sales. And I'm excited to, particularly before, I've learned a lot from you, um, you. just with your experience and your knowledge. And I, I think as a fellow sales professional, like kind of being in the consulting industry, we there, there is a component of every business that is a sales component. Um, so I've learned a lot from that, from that perspective. And I'm excited too, for our business owners who are listening today or key key leaders who are, you know, sales managers who are listening today. I'm excited for them to maybe get glean some insights that they might use to help their, their sales force. Um, so whatever way it goes, I'm excited because sales is a fun topic. It's a essential topic. Um, so let's get started. Let's jump in. Yeah, let's do it. So let's, let's, uh, here's a big softball for you. <laughs> How did you get started in sales? Yeah. So I, you know, I wish I could say I, I started selling baseball cards when I was 10 years old. And by the time I was 12, I had 20,000 in the bank, but I don't have a cool story like that. Like, you know, most amazing sales guys do. <laughs> I, I got my start really in recruiting when I was in college and I know recruiting and sales are, are very different, but I was in it recruiting and we were um, trying to get people to take jobs, IT jobs, in hazard pay areas, so Afghanistan and Iraq. And so you learn a lot about sales when you try to convince someone to go spend a year in Iraq or a year in Afghanistan. And so that was really the start of my sales career where I was getting hung up on, yelled at, told no over and over. And I realized that this is a really, really tough job, like trying to convince someone that they should go take a a position overseas. And so that was the start of my sales career, I would say, you know, if I had to really nail it down, but really coming out of that job, which I was only in there for a year, I couldn't take it. I was was like, this is not, this is not for me. I, I can't convince people to do this. So I was there for about a year. And then coming out of there, I got a match, just kind of met a local entrepreneur a mutual connection set us up for lunch. And uh, we sat down and he was telling me about a project that he had started working on. It was a software as a service in the fitness industry. And he was telling me like, yeah, we're, we're building it out. We're almost done. And and we're going to start selling it. If you want to come on as an intern part-time, you can help, you can help grow the sales there. We only have one sales guy. So it'd be you and him working on it together. And uh, we'll just see, you know, where we can take it. And so I looked at this opportunity. I'm like, you know what? I got nothing better to do. I'm a broke college student. This sounds like an exciting, this guy seems cool. Uh, let's give it a shot and see what happens. And so I went ahead and, and joined that company. I was with that company for six years 
and we grew it from scratch. We grew it from zero sales to thousands of sales and, you know, millions of dollars in sales. And so it was, uh, it was, and we just, we learned through the school of hard knocks. Like we learned the hard way. We figured it out as we went. And so that's where I can really attribute, um, most of what I know today about sales from not saying I'm like an expert by any means. Like if you're listening to this right now, I am, I am not some sales guru or some sales coach. I just, I am very blessed to have some experience in sales where I've learned a ton. So those are the main, the main ways I got started in sales. Well, Cameron, that gives every listener a reason to turn it off because the title of this episode is Sales with Cameron Earhart, Sales Guru. <laughs> yeah, no, not ready to call myself that just yet. Maybe maybe one day, but no, I still have still have a ton to learn. And I think anybody in sales feels that way, right? Like in, unless you're retired and, and you built your whole career off sales, like just starting out or, or even if you're halfway you know, into your sales career, like you realize the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know uh, about sales. That sounds tough. And I, and I want to go back cause it sounds like the more you're in sales, the more tough lessons you're learning, the, the more, the more you're realizing how challenging it is because from an outside perspective, I think anybody, it, it's easy to identify a really great sales professional from the outside and it sounds like once you get it, like once you've been in sales and you've you've been around the block enough, you you get to realize, yes, there are great salespeople, but the great salespeople realize how tough, how challenging it is. So, what are some of the tough challenges? What are the sort of tough lessons that you've had to learn? Um, that I think you know, I'm going to keep building you up because I, I I do I, I sit around across the table from you, I, I get to learn from you on a weekly basis. What are some of the tough lessons that you've learned in sales? Yeah, it's a good question. I, my favorite people to learn from are the people who went through the school of hard knocks. The the guys and girls who who came up through Cutco and they were going door to door selling knives. Like those are the people who who have learned tough lesson in sales. I I, I didn't do door to door sales. I was doing cold calling, which I, I think is almost as painful, maybe, maybe equally painful. Um, I was, you know, dialing for dollars, 70 to a hundred cold calls a day. So like the people who put in that, that kind of, uh, effort in the beginning, you know, when they're getting started in their sales careers of going door to door, making cold calls, like they learned some really tough lessons. And I think for me, one of the toughest lessons that I learned was that, um, how to, how to detach myself from the outcome of the sale, right? When you're making 70 to a hundred cold calls a day, you're going to get hung up on yelled at called a piece of crap. Like there are people who do not want you calling them in the middle of the day. How did you get my number? Who is this? Why are you calling me? Like right. people freak out. And so in the beginning, not realizing that, um, I needed to detach myself from the outcome. There were days where I would finish up my, my cold calling time. And I would just want to f- curl up in the fetal position and cry myself to sleep because I, I looked at it as, you know, a, a, a view of like, this is who I am. Like, this is my identity. I suck. <laughs> people, people <laughs> hang up on me. People hate me. Like people don't want to talk to me. And so realizing, you know, that was one of the toughest lessons, like realizing that no matter how many times I get hung up on or, or chewed out, like that has no reflection on who I am as a person. And actually getting them to know is a really good thing. So that was a, a tough lesson to learn, um, that, 
very fortunately I learned early in my sales career through cold calling was that whether they say no or chew me out or whatever it may be, that has no reflection on who I am or even who I am as a salesperson. Like it, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm a bad salesperson because I got hung up on. It means that I caught somebody during a really, really bad day and they use their phone ringing and, and, and picking up, you know, me being on the line as an excuse to let out their anger. Right. right? So, so, you know, take that, like, let, I'm, I'm curious to know, learning how to detach yourself from the phone call, like detach yourself, sorry, not the phone call, detach yourself from the outcome. What are there practical, like mental processes that you went through or was it people pouring into you and just reminding you like, Hey, no, this is just a part of the gig or a combination of both. How did you, cause it, I feel like there's, there's the, there's the heuristic or the anecdote of like, Oh, you just got to detach yourself from the phone call. But I'm led to believe that you didn't just like flip a switch and that happened overnight. I, it, what was that process like of learning to detach? And more more specifically, if we have our sales managers listening to this call or business owners who are you know, heavily involved in training up their sales staff and they realize, man, a lot of my guys are getting discouraged sometimes or my newer, my newer salespeople are getting discouraged because they feel they feel guilty or they feel ashamed because they're not getting the outcome that they desire. And they're, they're seeing it as a, a representation of who they are as a person. How did you learn to detach from the outcome? Yeah. I, I mean, starting out when it was just me and one other guy and I was essentially, you know, the SDR. So I, I was the, the sales development representative. I was the one calling, emailing, just trying to get leads in the door. And so I was the one continually getting punched in the face and punched in the stomach. Like it's just the nature of the job. And then as we grew, we were able to start bringing on more salespeople. And so as we were doing that, the other guy uh, who I was with, who, who had been in the company longer, he had more experience. He was more of a marketing guy. So he began to transition over to marketing. And so then, uh, you know, just a short few years later, that left the most experienced sales guy in the company, um, being me. And so they were promoting me to a sales manager, started hiring more salespeople. And so very quickly I was now managing SDR. So I was, I was managing people who were making 70 to hundred phone calls a day. And so I had to, you know, kind of face that question very often, you know, when they, when SDRs would come to me at the end of the day and be like, Hey, this sucks. Like <laughs> I, I didn't make one successful phone call today. Like I, I am very upset, you know, and, and I think it helps if you've been through the ringer, you know, being able to empathize and relate with them. Like, yeah, man, I've been there. Like it does suck. There's, there's no sugar coating it. Like I can't convince you that, you know, everything's flowers and, and rainbows. Like it's, it's really tough when you have a day like that. But I think, um, the, the biggest thing for me was seeing you know, your first sale, like getting your first sale and then, and then getting another sale. Like, you know, you start to see it work. And, and the thing about sales is you have to get really, really good at losing and you have to be a good loser. Like, like like sales is similar to baseball. Like, you know, if you're, if you're batting in baseball and you're batting 300, like you're pretty good, you're crushing it, but that means you're missing 70% of the time. So like, you're not great. Right. But according to just the, the standard, like you're good. So same thing in sales. If you're closing, you know, 
10% of your sales, like you're probably doing really good, but that means you're losing nine out of 10 sales. But that one sale makes it worth it. Like it makes up for the other nine no's, the other nine that are slamming the door in your face or hanging up on you. And so it, it's really like seeing the success. If you never see the success, like if you never get to see a uh, sale close, like if you just never get to that point, it is really tough to see the light in the tunnel of like, why, you know, why am I staying in sales? So there has to be that success. And that success is ultimately, you know, what leads you to, to realizing like, wow, I love this. Like, this is incredible. Mm. I may... I may do terrible 70% of the time and like get told no and get hung up on, but that one or that, that those two sales I was able to close makes it all worth it. And not just because like you get some commission or, you know, you hit your quota or whatever it may be, but getting to see a sale you close and then that person actually benefit from the product or service you provide is extremely fulfilling for me. Like there's some people who just, you know, they, they get the high just from closing the sale. I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that inherently, but getting able to see someone become successful because you were able to position your product or service in a way that, that made them decide to move forward. Like to me, that's the most fulfilling part about sales. Mm, Yeah. I love that. I think what I hear, there's a proverb that I, that I've actually I've come across a couple of times this week in different conversations. Uh, it says without a vision, the people perish. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's what you're touching on is it for your, for your sales professionals, if you're in sales and you're in the, in the fray, then you, you need that constant reminder of, Hey, this isn't always like this. You might have two, three days where you don't close a single sale. The importance is that you don't fixate your mind on, okay, it's always going to be this way. It's always been this way. I've never closed anything. No, no, you remind your anchor is, hey, this is a beneficial thing. I have closed sales in the past and people have benefited from what we're doing. So Mm. it sounds like keeping that vision, keeping that light at the end of the tunnel is super essential to just, as you said before, detaching yourself from the outcome. Yeah. And it, and it, um, you know, it really lends to the question, do you truly believe in what you're selling? So do you truly believe that the product or service that you're selling to this person will benefit them, will help, you know, solve some pain in their life? If you don't believe that, which I've been there before, I, I hate to say it because it's going to make me sound like a terrible person, but I have been in a, a position where I've sold a service that I didn't fully believe in. And there was nothing more just you know, more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it just destroys you. Yeah. Disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. It it just makes you, it makes you more upset than getting told no. Like if I, if I were to sell something to somebody and they agree and they say yes and they sign up and I know it's not going to help them that I, I go to bed more upset than if I didn't get the sale. And Mm -hmm. there's some people, you know, and that's one of the reasons we can go down a rabbit hole here, but that's one of the reasons that, sales get such a bad rap because of, you know, like the cheesy used car salesman who just like, I'm just going to sell you this car. It's a lemon. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to just convince you it's the best car ever for you because I need to get paid. It's commission breath. And so that's what gives, that's one of the reasons that sales has such a bad rap. And there are some people who are, are okay with that. I'm not okay with that. And so being in a position where I was selling a, a product or service that I didn't fully believe in it was soul crushing like Mm. even getting the sale it was so defeating um because i felt like i was lying to the person i was lying to myself as well and so that's probably the first question 
I would ask someone if they were feeling defeated in sales is, do you truly believe that what you are offering will make this person's life better? And if you don't, then we need to talk about that. <laughs> like maybe this <laughs> isn't the right company for you. Um, that could very well be the case. Um, or maybe we need to just, we need to talk about this product or service more to make sure you fully understand it. Um, and yeah, so I mean, just getting to that point of truly believing what you sell, then when you see someone purchase it, it, it should fulfill you in a way of understanding like, wow, like I just, I just made this, like this person's life's going to be better because of yeah. this. So yeah, that's great. So detach from the sale. You know, I think that's, that's a great, tough lesson that you, you, thanks for sharing that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so not on, on the flip side, like there's tough lessons. There's things that are just tough that we have to learn that we learn from, but we also learn from our mistakes. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's, I'm the first to say I've made a ton of mistakes, you know, Hey, send like this one happened. I hate to say it recently, send the email over attached to the proposal <laughs> and the proposal's not attached, like maybe a minor mistake, but sure. still like you want to seem credible. You want to seem professional and forgetting to attach something to an email is hard. So what are the, what are some of the mistakes you've made? Um, and what are some of the mistakes that you see small business owners make when it comes to running a sales team or, or conducting sales you know, themselves. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think we have enough time to talk about all the mistakes I've made in sales. The, the, (laughs) probably the first one that comes to mind, one of the most obvious ones, uh, which I still like, I just laugh about was I, uh, at the software company, we were doing outreach and, uh, cold email outreach. And so, you know, there's a lot of different philosophies with how to do cold email outreach and we didn't know what we were doing. So we were trying them all. We're like, well, we'll just figure this out. And so one of the strategies we were trying was the spray and pray method. So let's just send a thousand emails out. We'll just change the person's name and let's just see how many responses we get. And hopefully we convince them to do, um, to move forward. And so I sent an email out to, um, not, not knowing, uh, to this huge celebrity trainer. We're in the fitness industry. So, mm-hmm. um, normally like you would never expect to get a response, but my cold email was positioned in a way that it, it just made no sense for this person's business. Like it was talking about small businesses. It was talking about low revenue amount, like different things like that. Like, Hey, if you want to grow and become <laughs> like a celebrity trainer, here's what you do. And so she basically use that as an excuse to reply and just tell me like how terrible I am at sales. And so she, she responded, I think like, you know, 30 minutes later and was like, this is the most unapplicable email I've ever seen. Like, do you not realize who I am? Like nothing applies to me. You need to do better research, et cetera. And I remember reading that and I'm just like, Oh gosh, like maybe this is a terrible method because I hate this. Well, I ended up responding to her and just apologizing, like owning up to it and just saying like, I'm really sorry. You weren't supposed to be on that list. I don't know how you got on that (laughs) list. Um, but I, I just did my research. Here's what I found X, Y, Z. I'm not, you know, I don't want to ask you for a call. It sounds like I've ruined my chances there, but I, you know, I appreciate you reaching out. She ended up following up and saying, you know what, let's have a phone call. And, and somehow, some way she ended up coming on board, Wow! but that was, and it was one of our bigger clients that, that was a lesson though, that I, I, or a mistake, I should say that I made that I learned from. And so that's, 
the the point I'm getting at is in sales, you have to continually be learning from your mistakes and you're always making mistakes. Like I can't think of, I can't ever think of a, a scenario where I got it perfect, where, you know, the client or the prospect signed and became a client. And I thought, wow, I did everything perfectly there. Like that was a hundred percent. I nailed it. I crushed it. That was awesome. Like every single time I'm thinking, I could have done this differently. I should have asked this question. Like, I should have worded this differently. I should have remembered to add the attachment to the email. So you're always making mistakes. But I guess the bigger question is, are you learning from those mistakes as you go? And if you're not, then you're not really getting better at sales. And so that that's really one of the main, you know, one of the main points of uh, being a good salesperson is you're always learning from your mistakes. So as to get to the second part of your question, like as a small business owner, any business owner who is, you know, trying to help their salespeople as they make mistakes, like what are some mistakes they may see? I mean, I, I think one of the most obvious ones is if you don't truly understand sales, don't act like you do. And I, I don't mean that in, in like a, you know, uh, I'm better than you kind of way, but what I mean is if you have a, if you have a sales team and, and you've never done sales yourself and you're going to them and you're setting the quota and you're saying, this is what I need from you guys. Like, this is the amount of revenue I need coming in. This is how many sales, like if you've never actually done that before as a business owner, like go ahead and, and lean on somebody for help. And not every business owner is a great salesperson. I mean, a lot are for sure. But if you don't have any experience, you don't have to pretend like you do. Like, and we talk about this all the time at Axiom when we're talking with business owners, like this, this idea of humility, you don't have to have all the answers. And if you pretend you do, like you're only going to hurt yourself. And so that's probably mm -hmm. one of the main mistakes I see is, is a business owner thinking that they have to um, completely drive the sales conversation, what it looks like, the strategies you're doing, everything like that. When in reality, like you don't, you know, find somebody who knows more than you and lean on them and, and learn from them. So I don't know, hopefully that answers that question, but that's, no, that's I, tough one. I, I love that piece because, you know, going back to what you said at the beginning in your, your story, just your personal situation was how quickly I think humility comes into play huge there, right? Because if we don't have that humility, and, and maybe, maybe you don't call it humility. Maybe you call it introspection or self-reflection or whatever it is. Like, give it whatever label you want. If you don't have the ability to own up to the fact that there was something that went wrong as a result, even whether or not it was your fault, like you could say, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, not my, my, not my fault that your name came up in our list because, you know, whoever gave us the list messed up. Marketing. Right? Marketing's problem. <laughs> or, or, you know. Blame, just pass the buck, right? You could have passed the buck and left it there and just kind of hid underneath a rock and not address it any further. But that's not, in, in your retelling of the story, that's not what you did. Like there was, there's definitely a posture of humility, which allowed you to interact, to own up to the mistake, not pass the buck, but to confront it and to interact and quickly acknowledge, yes, this was a mistake. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to pass the buck. I'm going to confront it head on. Mm. And that interaction, that relationship that you pursued, whether it was, you know, in this case to, to make right a conflict or to, you know, quite frankly, just to apologize led to a sale. So, you know, I think that's the, that's the thing that I hear in that is when you have, like, if you're not fostering humility among your sales team, 
you know, and I don't know what this looks like because I've never been on a sales team other than what we have here at Axiom. Yeah. But if you've not been on a sales team where there's safety, where you're able to say, hey, like, w- let's let's just air our mistakes today and talk about how we're going to make them right because it's unsafe and, you you know, oh, how dare I open my, raise my hand and say I made a mistake. Yeah. If you're if you're on a team that's not like that, then you have such an amazing ability to learn more quickly, to grow yeah. quickly. Yeah, and I think that's just awesome. That's a great story. So yeah, well, yeah, and it's the humility and transparency. I, I mean, I I think that they are foundationally important for sales. Um, and I, I think you know it's really we see a pendulum, you know, in in most things in culture, but in sales, I, I think we're seeing it. We're kind of coming out of this decade, you know, maybe it was more like the eighties and nineties of the use cheesy used car salesman and this pushy salesman. And I'm going to be aggressive and I'm just going to, I'm just going to shove this down your throat. So you buy it. I'm going to convince you and you, I'm not going to let you leave here until you make this purchase. And I think everybody remembers that scene from Glendale, Glengarry Glenn Ross, where he's, <laughs> he's not letting his prospect leave the restaurant to yeah. go home and talk to his wife about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, he does indeed get the credit card number or whatever before he goes home. And then, the, you know, the, the customer has to renege. I, I remember that scene is one of the most intense scenes of that movie, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. That's, that's what you're talking about. It's just this, this culture where pressure sales, getting the, ink, you know, getting the ink on the line was first and foremost yeah, and it may it may work. Like it may still work. You may be able to get enough sales with that method. But I can guarantee you, your your customers are not going to be as happy. You're not going to have um, repeat customers. You're not going to have people coming back to you. You're not going to have word of mouth referrals. Like it's not sustainable. And and really, I, I think this pendulum swing of now getting to the other side of okay, let what if we just tried being transparent and humble and actually have a conversation and be a good listener. Like what if we actually listen to the prospect instead of just telling them how great we are, you know, all the features and benefits that we have. Like what if we found out what pain the prospect has and and then maybe had a transparent discussion if we could even solve that pain. And maybe, just maybe, we are uh, we were real with the idea that we can't solve their problem. <laughs> like, you know, instead of thinking like we are the perfect solution for everyone. And I think, you know, I think that's where sales is kind of heading to right now in, in the large sense and a large degree. And I think that's where it needs to head. Um, cause you know, I, every seller is also a buyer and most, most sellers would never want to be treated you know, the, uh, and the, the way that we were just talking about, you know, how people right. sell, most sellers would never want to be treated that way in a sale and yet they do it. And so, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, that's what, that's why I kind of preach this and, and it's not original to me, obviously I didn't come up with it, but I'm seeing it in, you know, on LinkedIn and different sales coaches and gurus that I follow. Like this really seems to be the trend of let's be problem solvers and let's be active listeners instead of pushy salesmen. And I mean, you see it and think about like CarMax, right? Like why is CarMax so successful? Because they're like, let's cut out the salesman. Let's just get rid of the salesman altogether because like nobody wants to haggle for a used car. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't truly work anymore. And so we, yeah, we need to, and I, I think this is industry across the industry, right? It's not industry specific. We need to get to a point where as a salesperson, you are 
a genuinely trying to help the other person for their benefit, not for yours. So, so people can smell commission breath like a hundred percent. And, and if they can smell your commission breath, like it's going to turn them off and they're going to leave. So how do we get away from that? Like, how do we get a, how do we get rid of our commission breath? We become really good active listeners. So it definitely sounds like active listening is this new step in the sales cycle. Like this new, I'm going to call it Cameron sales cycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what are the other steps? If we, and let's, let's say there's, there's a typical sales cycle um, from, the, from the perspective of every sales professional is going to spend their time prospecting. Talk about some of the other steps in the sales cycle and then what, what, are the, what steps challenge you the most and what steps do you find others are challenged by the most? Yeah, so, I mean, if we're thinking about it in regards of outbound sales, yeah, there's, there's prospecting. Like, you have to generate leads. So how are you going to generate leads? And then once you have those leads, like, you're going to have to qualify them, you know, so that's typically done through discovery. Um, once you do that, like you're, you're going to have to actually have a conversation with them to see if they're interested, to see if they want to move forward. Um, you know, so there's that. And then there's obviously like the proposal stage and move forward and all that. So yeah, we could get into any of those. I, I think the most difficult for me is in, in the outbound, um, world, it, it's the prospecting. I mean, it's, it, it really is. It, it's trying to figure out how do you, you know, you have, um, pain that you solve, well, if, if you don't know that, Devin, and, and I've never met you and I'm reaching out to you and I'm trying to find out if you have pain that I can solve for you, but you never asked me to, like that is, that is the biggest, that, that is always going to be the biggest challenge for me. And I think most sales professionals is an outbound outreach. How do you, how do you get someone who is unaware of you, doesn't know you, doesn't care about you? to the point to where they're willing to talk to you about the pain they're experiencing and then consider using your product or your service to help solve that pain. Like that, that's the most difficult, biggest challenge that, that you're going to face in sales. Hi, this is Joey Brandon. I want to take a quick time out just to tell you a little bit more about Axiom and the work that we do. We work with closely held businesses on strategic growth. What that means is that we come alongside the business owners, we help them get clear about where their business is going, and then we engage their leadership team to build plans for growth and then execute those plans. If you're a business owner and you're trying to grow or you're looking for future growth, or maybe you're just trying to manage the current growth that you have and you're looking for some help, you want somebody to come alongside you, to give you the tools, to show you what accountability looks like, to build the skill set of your team so that you can step away from the business while it continues to grow, give us a call. You can find more information at axiomstrategic.com. What are some of the helpful tools and tactics that you've used and implemented, you know, to make that prospect, you know, to ease the challenge of the prospecting portion of the cycle. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different areas we could look at, you know, like how how do you even get to the conversation? That's a big question. Um, but I, I think the, I'm just going to go back to active listening. So let's just assume you're able to get to the conversation with the person our natural tendency is to tell the person how great we are, how amazing we are. And I know it's overused and super cliche, but um, when we think about it in, you know, in dating terms, like if we were to, if I was to get set up on a blind, I'm married, but (laughs) let's say I wasn't married. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) never mind. But anyway, so let's say, let's say I was to get set up on a blind date 
And I were to sit down with this person and start explaining to her how great I am. I'm like, listen, Susie, I am so amazing. I was in the top 10% of my high school graduating class. I, uh, I'm six foot four. Um, I was pretty good at basketball back in the day. Still, I mean, I still can hold my own. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, my mom says I'm very good looking. Uh, you know, like if I were to just start going out list, Susie would be like, I never want to go on another date with you. This is absolutely terrible. Like, I don't want to right. just hear how great you are. And yet in sales, we do the exact same thing without even realizing it. So we sit down with the prospect. We we're able to get a conversation with them somehow. And we sit down with them. And typically what happens is we want to build rapport. And so we start with small chat, you know, small conversation. And like, how was your day? How was your weekend? Like, awesome. Tell me more about yourself. And the buyer is very skeptical. Because they're coming into the situation understanding that you have an agenda and your agenda is to sell. So the buyer is very skeptical. And so more often than not, the buyer will say, so tell me about what you do, right? They, they want to know what is your agenda. Tell me your agenda now so I can decide if I should give you the next 30 minutes or if I should fake a phone call so that I have to leave. And so they say, tell me more about yourself. And our, our natural tendency is to start talking about how great we are. Well, I'm with Axiom. And let me tell you about Axiom. We were founded by Joey Brandon. Awesome guy. He's a CPA. He does this. We also have Devin on our team. Devin's a stud. Here's what he does. And, you know, we won these awards and we've helped these businesses do this. And here's how amazing, you know, here's how amazing Axiom is. And they're right away. They're like, that doesn't tell me anything about how you can help me. Like you're just talking about yourself and how great you are. So I'm going to fake that phone call and leave here. When in reality, like if I were to go to that conversation and if I were to actually listen and be an active listener, so ask engaging questions to learn more about the person because I'm genuinely interested, then that just might get me to the point where I can figure out if I can actually help this person or not. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's really, you know, that's, that's really one of the main engaging questions. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's called mirroring. For those of you that are listening, uh, Devin just mirrored me to so that I would elaborate on a point. It's a great tactic. So if I'm sitting down with uh, if I'm sitting down with someone and uh, I ask them, "Hey, so you know, tell me more about your business. You know, what does Axiom do?" And he says, "Oh, we do strategic planning, execution, and coaching." I'm, I might respond and say, "Strategic planning, execution, and coaching." and kind of raise my voice at the end, implying a question. And that elicits a response for him to elaborate. And so it's, uh, it, it comes out of Chris Voss's book, um, Never Split the Difference. And it's a really amazing tactic. You can try it on your family sometime. And uh, my wife is very aware of it now and gets very upset. I, I use it unintentionally just because it's so effective. I find myself using it all the time. But she thinks that every time I do it, I'm tactfully trying to figure, you know, trying to get her to. Right. So every time she's like, Karen, stop mirroring me. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great tactic. But I can't remember why you mirrored me. <laughs> well, you, you talked about engaging questions, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and this idea of asking engaging questions like there's lots of ways to do it. One is mirroring. If you maybe, I mean, quite frankly, I'm sure I'm the only person that has ever experienced this, but I'm in a conversation. I'd want to be engaged and something the individual said has me, my brain going circles. I'm yeah. like, man, that is great. But I forget, I don't hear anything that they're saying, yep. right? I, I forget to listen, but I want to go back to it and I want to kind of continue that conversation or maybe hear what they said again. Mm -hmm. So one of the tactics is, you know, mirroring and saying, 
getting them to reelaborate or ask again. So, yeah. so just simply say what they said. But what are what are some other engaging questions? Like I think I think that's where maybe we overthink this and, and we get into a conversation. We're so focused on maybe the process, we forget to just be in relationship with people. Yeah. But what are some like some of your your go to engaging questions? And- yeah, and you made a great point. Actually, you know, we've been hanging out all day and and asking questions and to each other and just talking and stuff like that. And I, I've caught myself doing this a few times. Our Typically, just like you said, our natural tendency is when you say something that gets me thinking, I get focused on that thought, I block out what you're saying, and then I wait till you're done so I can say what I want to say. And so, you know, it's very common. You're talking with someone and you're like, hey, how you been? They're like, oh, I've been so good. I just got back from a trip to Yosemite. It was awesome. And you respond and you say, oh, it's so cool. I went to Yosemite two years ago, had such a great time. What are you what are you really saying in that? You're saying that's great. I don't care. Let me tell you about my trip to Yosemite. You're not being an active listener and I've caught I caught myself doing it with you a couple times a day of like yep. like oh gosh, what and it's our natural tendency. Like yep. we just we want to talk about ourselves. We want to talk about our experiences. And so it's really tough to fight that. But when you're in a a conversation with the prospect and they say, yeah, you know, I, I, we've really been facing this battle um, with losing our customers to this new competitor down the road. He, he or she, you know, they're offering uh, lower prices and they're, you know, they're really small. And so their customer service, like they're just, they're able to, to be way more intentional than we are. And we're losing customers to them. And, and I don't know what to do about that. And, you know, our natural tendency might be like, oh, yeah, I, I heard about them. And, and, you know, and we just start talking. Mm-hmm. Right. But what if we started asking questions instead? Um, you know, what if we started saying like, yeah, I try to think of a question off the top of my head. But, you know, um, so what uh, what type of clients are you losing to them? You know, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to you're trying to find like what is what is his or her, what is their deepest pain point that they're experiencing here? And you're genuinely just curious in finding that out. Um, you're not worried yet about offering suggestions or, you know, here's how we can help this. Here's how we can fix this. Like you just want to make sure you fully understand the situation first. And so, yeah, what, what are some questions that, um, you know, I, I typically ask, like, I think one of the best ones and, and um, Joey does a great job of this is, is asking what are, what are some pain points that you're experiencing in your business right now? Like it's very straightforward and it's to the point, like you can't, right. you can't get around that, you know, and, and the business owner, if they're being honest, like they're going to say, well, yeah, I mean, I got some challenges and here they are. And then it's our job just to shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And then once we hear those challenges, let's ask questions to get them to elaborate. And it's not some deceptive psychological Jedi mind tricks just to get the sell. It should be because we genuinely care about the person and we want to know that if the issues and problems that they're experiencing, if we can help fix that. And that, that goes across the board for all industries. So if you're in pest um, control or lawn care, whatever it may be, and you know, you have someone who's inquired about your services and you go there and you ask them, okay, like, you know, what, what are you hoping for? What do you, why did you contact us? And they say, well, I'm worried about, you know, termites. Like, I, I think I might have a termite problem. Like, instead of just saying, oh, yeah, let me tell you how amazing we are and how we've helped so many different homes, you know, how about we ask questions and how about we find out, like, 
where have you seen termites? What, what are you, uh, why are you so concerned? Have you seen them? You know, and so you're asking all these questions mm-hmm. to make sure that person feels heard and, and understood before you just start, you know, babbling about how great you are. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I was, I was actually in a conversation yesterday, uh, with an ex Apple employee hmm. and they, the motto that Apple uses is Apple in that kind of approach. So the conversation that they're having, you think through the acronym Apple. So Hmm. approach the conversation. What's your approach? Do you have an open posture? Are you ready to listen? Or is your approach like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to close this sale. Like I'm going to, I'm not leaving here until I got a bottom, you know, a signature on the dotted line. The next is P probe, right? So are you going to add the, the, they don't allow you a situation where you're not asking questions of the customer. Now, this is unique. You know, this isn't unique to Apple. It's just what they call it. The next one is position. Do you understand the other individual's position? Hmm. And I think that's where you're just like what you just touched on is so important. And I actually did exactly what we're talking about not doing is asking open-ended questions. <laughs> and said, so I'm telling you about experience I had. But you're not selling me something. Underst- it's okay. <laughs> uh, understanding their position and, and really make that there can never be may I should be careful of, of certainty. I, w- I don't want to say there can never be a situation, but I find it hard to believe that there is a situation where it's bad to make sure you understand the other person's position more clearly. Right. Cause if you don't understand their position, I mean, that's the saying I always heard growing up assumptions make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> right. And I think that's where, that's where the sales sales profession has gotten like that slimy sales like yeah. sort of identity from when that was happening in the past. Like, yeah. I don't I don't care where your position is. This is what we're gonna give you. This is this is amazing. So do you remember what the L and the E stand for? Because I'm really curious now. Oh yeah, yeah. So the L was listen. <laughs> okay. Right? Just a reminder. Yeah, that's great. If they're sharing their position, what is their position? Listen for it. And then the last one is explanation. So okay. you, you, four, you go through four different letters yeah. before you actually get five, five letters, <laughs> before you get to the place where you say, yeah, hey, like, explain, explain what you think. Explain your, you know, how, you, how you're hearing them and uh, respond. So um, I think that's, that's great. Let's, let, me, let me switch gears. So we're yeah. talk, we'll go back. We kind of started this talking about the sales cycle. And just, you know, I think, I think there's always the assumption you actually shared this before the show is like, you know, what's, what is an ideal sales cycle for a sales professional? It's like, okay, well, a short one is the, is the simple answer. So elaborating on that, what are some of the ways that you found to decrease the time frame in a sales cycle? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different strategies that you can try out and, and this, you can get more industry specific. So, so let's say that we're talking about, um, you know, service-based, home service-based companies. So, you know, we'll just stick with the same example of like HVAC or um, plumbing or pest control, whatever it may be. So um, when, when you think about the sales cycle, there's, in order for the customer to move forward, there has to be a sense of urgency, more, more than likely. I mean, sure, people will buy without urgency at times, but the number one thing that's going to shorten the sales cycle is urgency. And so if I have a very compelling reason to sign up by next week or by next month, then I'm more than likely going to sign up by next week or next month. If it's not that big of a problem for me. So just an example, let's say you're a TV salesman. I have a TV in my home and it has a two pixels out. And so you're like, 
how can you watch TV on this? I can get you a new TV. Everything works perfectly. It's great. You're going to love it. You need to move forward. When can, when do you want to move forward? I'm like, I I don't really care. Like those two pixels, they don't bother me. The fact that they're out, like I, it's not that big of a deal to me. I don't have that much urgency. And so I, it, it's tough to add urgency as the seller. You typically have to find out what the urgency is um, from the buyer's perspective. And then, and then, I mean, I don't want to say like use that against them, but you want to use that in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are some things you can do to add urgency though. And, and an example of that might be like, hey, we're having special pricing this month. Um, if you sign up by X date, then you're able to get it at a discounted rate. Like that is a way to add urgency. Um, you know, if you wait till after this month, you're not going to be able to get this rate. And so, you know, things like that are, are always, you know, different strategies to explore for decreasing the sales cycle. Um, but ultimately it's always better if we can figure out what the buyer's urgency is and then, and then shorten the sales cycle because of that, not because of urgency that we're adding. So, yeah, no, that's great. What, when you, let's go back, you know, you talked about keeping the light at the end of the tunnel. We talked about vision and, and, not get detaching yourself from the sale and, and ways for our sales team to stay encouraged, right? When we're hearing no constantly. So I want to, I want to go back to that and just kind of touch on like the most rewarding part of sales for you. And what, what is the most rewarding part of sales for you? Yeah. It, I mean, I think I have to go back to, you know, what I said earlier, when you get to see someone that you brought from unaware to aware, to interested, to, you know, you, you take them through the whole buyer's journey and then they become a client. And then, you know, whether it's a month or a year down the road, you get to see that they are in a better position because they decided to move forward with your product or service. Like to me, that is by far the most fulfilling thing, you know, for me in sales. So like, you know, now I have, you know, some clients at Axiom. And so when, uh, just last week, like one of my clients pulled me aside and told me, Hey, I just want to tell you, how great this has been. Like we've used other consultants in the past and they've all been very industry specific and it, nothing really stuck. Like it was helpful for a little bit, but we ended up letting them go. But what you guys are doing, helping us build a foundation around, you know, our values and setting a vision and, and these leadership meetings and like all this, like this is actually changing our company for the better. And mm. so I just wanted to thank you. Like you guys are doing a great job keeping up. And like, I left that that conversation on cloud nine. Mm. And it's not because like, Oh yeah, I closed them. Like they're a client because of me. It's because their life and their business is actually better because we were able to work with them. And so to me, that's the most fulfilling part. And not every salesperson gets to see that, you know, some people they're just doing their part in sales and they never get to see the success of the customer. And so I, I personally think it's really important for anybody in sales to, constantly, you know, be aware of the success of some of the people that they were able to get signed up. So if you're only seeing that sales part of the process, like take, take 20 minutes a month to go talk to account managers and just, you know, find out like, what are some success stories? How happy are some of your customers? Go read reviews on Google, like do Mm -hmm. what you have to do to understand that you're actually helping people and making lives better because that 
ultimately, I think that should be the most fulfilling part in sales. Um, but you know, there are some people who get most fulfilled just by getting that commission check, and like yeah. that's okay too. You know, that's definitely an incentive. That's definitely a perk for being in sales. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. But hmm. yeah, that that getting to see somebody's life change because you know you um, introduce them to your product or service like that can't beat that in my eyes. Hmm. Sounds like a good it sounds like a good practice for business owners to get into just to, you know if they don't have a habit of reviewing sales with their sales team or reviewing past sales with their sales team reviewing uh, successful sales and successful outcomes of those sales it sounds like a really good tactic just for them to pull those into a meeting once a month or you know, on a on a one on one basis and just say hey you know. You were you. You seem like you're in a rough spot. Your numbers aren't as sharp this month. But I just want to remind you, like, hey, like last month, this customer we completed their job. They were so happy. They're so excited. You know, here's some of the pictures that they sent us. It sounds like that. Like, I think, I don't know. What are your thoughts on people including, like, making a habit of including those in conversations with their sales teams? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I've actually. I've hired companies before where I'm dealing with a salesman the whole time, and then, um, you know. After I go ahead and sign up and the salesperson is very transparent with me and they say, hey, I'm not going to be the one servicing. Um, we're going to have some other people come out from the company who's going to service. Um, but like, I, it's been a pleasure working with you. If you ever need anything, like here's my card, you can call or text me. And I understand like, yeah, you're, you're the salesperson and now I'm going to deal with the person who's actually providing the service. So I completely get that. But what I love, which very few companies do is a month or two months later when I randomly get a call on my phone from that salesperson and they say, Hey Cameron, this is Scott. I know we haven't talked in a few months. I just wanted to check in and see how things are going. How, how is the, you know, how is it working with our team? Do you like your service people that are coming out? And that's happened to, you know, with a few companies I've hired and I love it. I'm like, man, they they genuinely care. And, and it's also, I think it's rewarding for Scott when he gets to hear how happy I am with the business. And so that's, that's another great way to, you know, kind of find out as a salesperson, are you actually impacting people's lives for the better? Mm, That's great. Hi, this is Devin Dash at Axiom Strategic. And we just want to take a moment to, to break in our episode. And first of all, just thank you for listening. And the second thing we want to inform you of is a special series that we're going to be doing where we want to answer your burning questions. If you're a business owner or you're a professional working for a business and you have a burning question um, that we can put our minds to and, and maybe help you you know, think strategically about, do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. We're going to be putting together a string of episodes where we're going to be answering your questions. You can email us your questions at podcast at axiomstrategic.com or you can visit our website axiomstrategic.com, visit our podcast page, and there will be a form that you can fill out and get us your questions that way. I want to thank you again for listening. And now back to the episode. Uh, let's jumping down, you know, that's, I think that's a cool like after sale strategy. Yeah. What are some of the other tactics or strategies that you you wholeheartedly believe in and follow yeah um you know there's a ton out there and thousands of books and thousands of gurus and coaches and you know all that and uh you know there's a lot i've learned over time a lot of different books i mean i I can i can say like for myself it, it really what I believe in and and what I think works the best is, is what we've been talking about this whole time is being a good active listener. Um, 
and I talked about this book earlier, but Never Split the Difference is one of the best books for learning how to become a good active listener. So it's something I continually need to work on and get better at. Um, that along with learning how to ask the right questions, I think they go hand in hand. Um, but I would say if I'm not continually learning how to ask the right questions, then I'm not getting better as a salesperson. So, you know, we could get into like different, you know, tactics or acronyms, you know, there's, there's medic, there's the Sandler sales training system, you know, there's all these different, um, strategies that you can use. And, and there's a lot of good, you know, points in each of them. And, and some of them just have universal themes, but yeah, I, I really think that it comes down to learning to understand the buyer's perspective and then see if you can even, um, you know, help them and, you know, here at Axiom, I know you know this, Devin, but we follow the story brand methodology. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, the the kind of the hero's journey. And so we're not the hero in the situation. The client is the hero. We're the guide, you know, and the client is going to encounter a villain. And once they encounter that villain, there's going to be, you know, they can either figure out how to defeat the villain, which ends in a successful destination, or they could lose the villain, which ends in a, you know, defeat. Uh, it ends in a bad situation. And so us as the guide, we're saying, hey, we've experienced this villain before and we've helped others um, beat this villain before and get to a successful destination. And so, you know, that's the type of framework that we take to the conversation. And I, and I, I love that. I think it works really well because that essentially gets down to the root of understanding what the prospect's pain or issue is. And then have you helped defeat that pain, that issue, that villain before? And can you help them do it as a guide? So you're not the hero, you're the guide. And so I, I really, you know, that's a marketing technique, but I think it applies very well to sales and just understanding, you know, uh, a buyer's pain point and, you know, what you can do to help solve it. So, yeah, elaborate on that because I, I think that there's definitely a, a tie in between marketing and sales. And when you have a marketing strategy, let's just say, or marketing methodology that ties into sales, it seems it seems like it might be um, a lot more effective. So it, tell me more about that and just why you see it as such a good sales uh, catalyst. Yeah, the relationship between marketing and sales is interesting. We don't have to deal with it here at Axiom, but going <laughs> from a software company where we had a marketing team and a sales team, I mean, it, it really is like they is constantly butting heads. You know, the sales is always complaining, like, get me better leads. These leads suck. What are these? And then, you know, the marketing is always complaining. If you guys were just better salespeople, like you could close the leads we we're getting you. Like, just get <laughs> right. better. And so when you can unify the two and bring the two together, it always helps. And so I think a great way to do that is, is to have a methodology like story brand of, um, you know, understanding like, okay, this is the position we're going to take as both marketing and sales, that we are the guide, we are not the hero, but we are going to help the hero get to a successful destination. And so when you begin to um, take the same position in marketing and sales, it, it definitely helps just that congruency, you know, and working better as a company. And so, um, so yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, I think it's um, great for us because, so many of the business owners that we work with are, they feel like they're getting pulled in a hundred different directions. Yeah. That's part of our one liner. Mm, absolutely. Yep. And so as we market, you know, we think about marketing materials, our website, 
maybe it's a newsletter, something we sign out, uh, send out, we will use that same type of verbiage as we do in sales. When we sit down with a prospect for the first time and we finally get to the point where we're going to talk about what we do, we say, well, we found that many business owners are getting pulled in a hundred different directions. Like that's how we started because we need to see, is that a pain point they're feeling? And, you know, when we think about pain points, there's, there's a million out there, you know, that business owners might be experiencing. And I think the ones that are most uh, painful are the philosophical ones, which is, you know, a business owner who they started the business because they wanted to one day find this freedom where they were able to enjoy their family, enjoy their life, enjoy vacations and not be tied down to the business, but they're not they're not enjoying that because they're getting pulled in a hundred different directions. So they're having this yeah. philosophical battle and it's this deep pain point and we're helping solve that. And so, you know, that, that's why I think it's so effective and, and why I just, I love story brand, but yeah. So last question, mm-hmm. what are some quick practical tips that you could share with our listeners that would benefit, that they could benefit from? Uh, and, and and I'm gonna you know just spitball them all. And if you want to break them apart, let's say if there, if you if we have someone who is on a sales team who came across our podcast and listening to our podcast, it's not a typical listener, but we're glad they're here. We're glad that you've stuck around this long. Um, what Both are some? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the, what are some of those tips that you would give them? And then from the sales manager perspective, what are some of the tips that you could? give a sales manager that just really quickly uh, that they, they can benefit run with and benefit from. Oh gosh. Um, yeah. So I'll just jump all around. So we'll just talk uh, cold calling real quick. So let's say you're cold calling a lead um, and they're just completely unaware of you and they answer the phone. Your natural tendency is just going to say, Hey, this is Cameron with Axiom. Can I have two minutes of your time? Like, don't do that. Right. Um, hi, Devin. Uh, this is this is Cameron. I know I'm calling you out of the blue. This is a cold call. If you want to hang up on me right now, I understand. Is there any way I could have a minute of your time? So just calling it out. Stop trying to be deceptive. Just say, hey, this is a cold call. And if I could steal two minutes of your time, that'd be awesome. Um, another one, you know, we'll, we'll move to kind of email messaging now. So asking no oriented questions. So getting away from, can I have a 30 minute phone call next week? They don't know you. They have no reason to get on a 30 minute phone call with you next week. So instead ask, would you be opposed to me sending over more information? Like, no, go ahead. Like, like people are more comfortable saying no than they are. Yes. To a salesperson. (laughs) So go ahead and ask no oriented questions. Um, yeah. And, and then to that same point, instead of trying to get straight to a phone call, you know, from an email to a phone call, ask if you can send over more information first. Like, you know, don't, Mm -hmm. don't ask to go from the first date to the fifth date. Like ask to, you know, just move to the second date. Can I send you more information? Um, and then, uh, you know, on top of that, I, I, a lot of what I'm sharing, it comes from the book, Never Split the Difference. So that, that's probably, you know, the, the, <laughs> it, it. we'll include it in the show notes. It is a, it is a good book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so definitely read that. But, um, yeah, as a sales manager, the second part of that question, like what are some good tips as a sales manager? I would say like with the team you have that you're leading, make sure they feel cared for. And, you know, we, we teach and preach this at Axiom, but have one-on-ones with them. Um, at the software company, you know, we used to say it's all about getting in your reps. And so we would do mock sales 
calls or, or conversations all the time. Usually once a week, I would sit down with each of the you know salespeople on the team and just do a sales scenario. I would throw it at them and see how they respond, and then use it as an opportunity to coach them. The more reps you can get in, the better. And so, as a sales manager, like make sure that the salespeople that you're leading have everything they need in order to be successful. Like that is your role. Your your success is contingent on their success, and so part of that is making sure that they are coached and trained in the best way possible. And can you really coach and train someone in sales if you're not letting them practice? Like probably not. And so get, get the reps in and, and get the reps in through practice. So, you know, those are some few quick hitters, but I think those are, you know, those will help a ton. Uh, just, you know, some quick practical tips if, if you actually, you know, employ them. So Cameron, it has been great. Uh, believe it or not, we are 58 minutes in. What? Yeah. The conversations I love. I love because I ramble. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I think, uh, I hope our listeners, if you, if you're listening to this and you just benefited from this, would you just leave a recommendation wherever you listen to your podcast or leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast at, um, and, and let us know your feedback. We want to hear from you. We want to make sure that we're giving you good content. Um, and it's, it's really not, not so much to boost us up, but it is definitely to make sure that uh, we're delivering something of value to you. So if you would, please leave a review. Cameron, I, I do. I've, I've genuinely enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much from it. So thank you for your time. Thanks for coming, making the trip down to Sarasota yeah. to be with me. That's yeah, great. And uh, everyone else, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. So this is the time in the episode where we leave space for an after show. Mm. Um, that pa- that long strategic pause was <laughs> so that Gina can enter in the end credits. Strategic, yeah, strategic. Um, so I, I do I do think that there's a couple of questions I left off intentionally and wanted to cover, and I think because they're more personal. Um, and yeah, so I just want to jump into them if you're okay with that yeah, and see where the sure. conversation leads. Yeah, I figured you didn't get to these because I talked so long, so we didn't have time. Yeah, no, no, it was it was genuinely out of fact of like, you know, I, there's so much. There's, I think, again, not to bring in the, the original show because we're in the after show now, but there was so much in there that I, I want to create that distinction. But I sure. do also think that there's just a ton of value. And whether we go for five more minutes or 10 more minutes or whatever, yeah. um, just about you wanting to bring in more of Cameron and who, who you are and, and recti- rec- uh, can't even speak anymore. Uh, <laughs> been is, talking for an hour. So. <laughs> uh, is there value in reflecting back on a time when you were kind of more green in your sales experience and kind of a second question to that? I, I do this a lot. So forgive yeah. me. Like, Here's here's two questions, but it's really one question. I usually forget the second one by the time I'm done answering the first one. Okay, well, <laughs> so. I'll just ask the first one now then. Uh, is there value in reflecting back on your time to to an earlier time in your sales experience? Yeah, I mean, quick answer. I would say yes, uh, mainly because I, I think it's always great to see how you've grown over time. And so I can look back to you know my first, second, third, fourth year in sales and know that I am significantly better than I was then. And in the beginning, that's because in the beginning, like I was selling as software and I was doing it by features and benefits. I would get on a call and tell someone how great we were because of the features and benefits. And I wish I could go back and do all those calls differently. Like we could have grown a lot faster, I think a lot quicker, Hmm. but, um, 
but yeah, so I think it's good of just seeing how far you've come in the process. So follow up to that is what would you go back and tell 21 year old Cameron? Probably don't get in sales, <laughs> like find another career. Um, no, I, I think I would, I, if I could go back and tell myself like beginning of my sales career, I, I think I would say very early, like, Hey, detach from the outcome because over the next few years, like you're, you're going to think you're terrible when you're really not like, you're not terrible at sales. Like just, so go ahead and detach. like, I wish I could have told myself that from the very beginning. Um, and then the, I, I wish I could have told myself in the very beginning, like learn how to be a good active listener. I mean, we talked about those the whole episode, but yeah. if, if I would have known that from the start, I just felt like my, you know, my first few years would have been so much better. I would have grown so much faster if I would have learned those skills rather than getting so, um, so just well-versed in the software and being able to explain the software from A to Z. That's great. Like, sure. But I would have been such a better salesman if I was a better listener. So, yeah, I think like, I'll just speak from my own experience here again, doing something we've talked about not doing, but is, is this idea of like, (laughs) Active listening. If if we go in with the mentality, if any, really any conversation, if it's if we go in with the mentality of if I just have my script and I say everything perfectly, then I will. They, they will not have a reason to say no, right? We might think that that's a better strategy for sales, but it sounds like with what I, what we, what I've experienced and what you've been saying, you know, this entire episode is. That is a myth and you're actually going to spin, spin your wheels more and more and more because it's so much easier to go in with no script and just ask good questions and hear the other person, understand their position and listen well so that you can identify really two questions. A, does what we have, is what we offer going to solve their problem? And B, if it is, how can I communicate that it's going to solve their problem? And you can't do either of those if you're not listening, actively listening to everything that they're, they're telling you. And you just go in with your five-minute script and then you know, expect them to throw, them, they'll throw their money at you and say, Put it, you know, spend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a pretty interesting book called Pitch Anything. I, I forgot the author. But um, it's, I'm not saying I agree with everything in this book, but it is very, it's very interesting. I think it's worth the read. And the author, uh, yeah, he kind of talks about this same idea where when he was mentored early in sales, his mentor told him, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Talk, talk 33% of the time and listen to other 66% of the time. And so what do you do with the other point three, 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 three percent? Silence. Good. Yeah, which is something like we could go on a you know whole another tangent about that. Like how uncomfortable silence makes most salespeople, but how tact how tactful you can be with it. Like silence can actually be a really good thing. But you know, we were talking about this earlier today, Devin. This idea of um, you know, when when someone is telling you that they're ready to move forward in the sale, confirming that they are actually ready to move forward in the sale. Typically when, you know, someone's on the other side of the table and they say, yes, let's do it. Let's move forward. All we see is fireworks and celebration. And so we're like, okay, I'll email you our agreement when we get back to the office. But what happens 
you know, in probably half of those cases is you get back to the office, you email them and you don't hear back. And then we, you know, maybe four days later, you, you call them, they don't answer. Week after that, you email them, they don't answer. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're two months later and you're like, what the heck? We were at lunch and he said, let's move forward. And then here we are today and I haven't heard from him in a month. And what you realize is you didn't take the time to find out that there was actually an objection hiding back there that the person wasn't sure of yet, but he left that meeting And then he went and had a conversation with someone and that verified the objection. And so therefore he decided not to move forward, but he liked you as a person. And so he decided just not to tell you and just disregard it altogether. Mm -hmm. So if we would have taken time at that lunch of asking the right questions after the person said, yes, I love it. Let's move forward. Then we could have saved ourselves a lot of heartache, (laughs) a lot of time. Right. Right. And so what are some of the ways to get to that objection? I know we talked about some of those today, but just elaborate on when you're, what are some of the ways to get to those objections? If they're, you know, let's just say they're, they're showing signs of moving forward. They are, there are fireworks going off. We know we're getting ready to, to throw the, the confetti out. What are some of the ways to, to maybe uncover some of those hidden objections? Yeah. This idea of a soft close, I, I think is really important. And I, I got it from, um, you, you can't teach a excuse me, you can't teach a kid how to ride a bike at a seminar um, by Sandler, Sandler training system. So it's a, it's a really interesting strategy, but I think it's great. So basically when someone says, yes, I'm ready, let's move forward. You're, you're getting the verbal contract while you're there at the table. And so you're saying, yeah, absolutely. um, We can do that. Let me ask you this. Like, when are you looking to get started? Uh, Let's get started in, um, in three weeks. Send me over the contract today. We'll get started in three weeks. Sure. Not a problem. Uh, Just out of curiosity, why three weeks? Like what's going to be different in three weeks that you want to get started? Well, I just, I have another partner that I need to speak to and uh, he's on vacation this week. And so when he gets back, I'll talk to him and, you know, he'll probably want to catch up on work. And so give us a few days. And so, you know, I, I think once I talk to him, I'll be able to get back to you. And then that should be about three weeks and we can get started. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense. So this, this other partner is on vacation right now. You're going to talk, you're going to talk with him when he gets back. So do you think that he might say no to this for any reason? I, I mean, I don't think so. Maybe, I guess there's always a possibility, but no, he should be on board. Like if I'm on board, he'll be on board. All right. Okay. No, no, that's, that's great. And, and you said there might be a possibility and look, I'm not trying to sound pushy or anything like that, but you haven't spoken with him yet. And so it sounds like if he came back to you and said, no, I don't want to move forward like that, that would be a deal breaker for you. Is that correct? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess if he didn't want to move forward, I I wouldn't be able to. Okay. Well, it, you know, I, I completely understand that. And, and look, we're, we want the whole ownership team on board. And so we love that you're on board. We want to make sure that, that your partner's on board as well. Would it make sense for the three of us to sit down in, you know, two weeks, three weeks and have a conversation about this? Uh, yeah, maybe, you know, I'd have to talk to him first. Like, yeah, I understand completely. Um, you know, and again, I'm not trying to sound pushy whatsoever, but, he'll probably have questions, similar questions to what you have. 
And I would love to be able to answer those for him. And I want you there as well. I, I want to answer them together. So do you think we could look at the calendar right now? Let's go ahead and put a placeholder on the calendar for the three of us. We can confirm once he gets back from his trip. But, um, you know, let's just go ahead and, and get that on there so that we can see if he has any questions that need to be answered. So anyways, I mean, that was a long no, no, hypothetical. I think, I think that's super helpful. Keep going. Cause I, I don't know. You're you... good. You're good. <laughs> it's a long hypothetical, but the point is if you would have never asked those questions, you would have never known that he had a partner who was on a trip who might come back and say no to this idea. And then everything is, you know, you're defeated. Like you're, you'll never find that out. But if you ask the right questions, you can get to that point and then you'll be able to propose this idea of, the three of you getting lunch, right? right? Because it's always better for that partner to hear it from you than from this other business owner. Because this other business owner doesn't understand your business the way you do. So that's just one example. I mean, we could go down a hundred avenues, but well, it's, it sounds like it sounds like the soft close is really reaching some sort of decision over indecision, mm-hmm. right? And I know that we talked about that, but that's you know the the illustration is extremely helpful if you're if you're if you want just the point, I think it's, it's getting some sort of decision over indecision. Don't, don't leave the next step Mm open-ended. I know the other one we talked about today was the talking some, you know, kind of counterproductive or, or contradicting what we normally think of as a, as a, an appropriate tactic in sales, but uncovering objections by talking them out of the sale. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just go back to, you know, a similar example. You're you're sitting across the table and, uh, you know, she's she's the CEO of her business. And, you know, she says, uh, she says, yes, I'm ready to move forward. Let's do this. Um, let's get started next month. Uh, and so, you know, you, you ask a similar question like, yeah, absolutely. What What's going to be different a month from now? Like, just curious, why do you want to wait a month? And then she responds and says, well, we just hired a new CFO. And we need to onboard the CFO and, and that might take about four weeks. And so give us that four weeks and then we'll be ready to get started after that. And so uh, I won't play through this whole hypothetical this sure. time, but anyways, you now know that there is a high probability that she actually isn't going to move forward with your service in a month because me and you both know that that CFO after four weeks, like that, sure he might, or she might be onboarded, but then the next curveball is going to get thrown at the CEO and she's going to get busy with something else. And so she's saying, this isn't a priority for me enough right now. And, and so to assume that in four weeks, everything's going to be perfect and she's going to be able to prioritize this would be naive of us. And so asking questions to basically talk her out of that cell will help us find out if, how, like how, um, you know, what's her result, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we're testing that. So we're saying, you know, we're saying questions like, okay, and let's just say in four weeks, the CFO is onboarded and then another curveball gets thrown at you. Your CMO quits. And you got to go hire another CMO and then train. Are you saying that you'll want to wait until after all that's done or, you know, and so you're, you're asking questions to basically figure out is, is this person truly committed to this four week timeline or is it just a way of her kicking the can down the road so she doesn't have to tell you no right then? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's one thing too. I think we obviously asking illuminating questions is so important to you, but how do you how do you get people to tell you no? 
<laughs> yeah, because most people don't want to. Right. Like most people are good people, and and especially like if you're likable, if you're a likable salesperson, and you have a very pleasant lunch, and they're like, "Wow, I like this person." Like they don't want to tell you no, and so they are more likely to lead you on a little bit, and then kick the can down the road because they like you and they don't want to hurt your feelings. And so, I think uh, you know one of the ways that you can kind of battle that as a salesperson is giving them permission to say no. And, and we don't do that very often. Like we don't come to the table and say, Hey, listen, we are not a fit for everyone. And we understand that. And here, here are the types of businesses we're not a fit for. And, you know, going down that list, like just giving them permission to a way to say no, if they need to, I'm not good at it. I'm not claiming to be, but I think if I started doing that, I might start getting to know a lot sooner, which would help me in so many different ways. Like it would, it would help my peace of mind because I wouldn't have this, you know, thought on the back of my head all the time, this burden that I'm always worried about. It would help clean up the opportunity pipeline. Um, and it, it would help me just in knowing what type of communications I need to have with this person, which essentially could save me a lot of time on the back end. So there's so many benefits of getting to know sooner rather than having a situation where the business owner just continually kicks the can down the road. Mm. Is there anything else that you could, that just top of mind real quick, it doesn't have to be quick, but is there anything (laughs) like last minute itching that you think we like would be beneficial for us to cover in today's episode? The the only thing I was thinking of on my drive down here this morning was I know there's a lot of people who are in sales and they're wondering, do I belong in sales? Like, is this really a career for me? Do I want to do I want to do sales the rest of my life? And I think it's it's a fair question. So I'm not saying like you shouldn't ask it. Sales isn't for everybody. Just like you know, digital design isn't for everyone. So if you're in sales and you're asking that, I'm not saying don't ask that. But what I am saying is if, if you genuinely love sales, it doesn't matter if you have the gift of gab, if you, you know, can quickly build rapport with someone, if, you know, you, uh, if you are just very skillful with your words, like I, I don't feel like I am to be honest. Like, I feel like I really struggle, um, kind of explaining complex, complex thoughts with my words at times. There's a lot of, uh, skills that a great salesperson have that I feel like I don't have, but I know that I love sales because I love seeing, you know, what we talked about earlier, that fulfillment in somebody when I'm able to provide a a service or product that can help their life. And so I know I want to be in sales for the rest of my career, even though I may not fit that perfect mold of what a salesperson looks like. And so it's really like, I would, I would ask yourself these questions. Um, I do you enjoy it? Like, do you, do you genuinely enjoy it? And and if you do, like, that's that's a huge check, right? Are you willing to learn? Like, are you willing to put in the time, put in the grind to to get better? Mm. Um, and and then like, once you start doing that, what? How does it make you feel when you see results? Like, when you close that first sale, how does it make you feel? And like, if if you're if you're experiencing like, wow, this is vocational fulfillment. 
Like those are the three check boxes. Like, don't worry about all this other crap. Like, don't, don't worry if you're an extrovert. Don't worry if you're a coach or or a counselor, like you can be an advisor, you could be a driver and be, and and we're talking about reach now for those of you. (laughs) If you are confused at this point, then you can go back and listen to the reach episodes, uh, part one and two. We talk about the psychometric profiling tool that we use internally uh, to get an understanding of how we can better work with the teams that we do. So just a little sidebar there. We'll, we'll include a link to those in the show notes as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, so point being, there isn't this one perfect mold for every salesperson. You can, there could be multiple personalities. You could be an introvert. Joey and, and you are both incredible salespeople. You're a coach. Joey, I guess he's a coach now. He decided to change his mind like he, six months ago. Yeah. However he did that, I don't know. But, <laughs> but he was a driver for a while, <laughs> right? So that's an example of like you have a great salesperson who's a driver and a great one who's a coach. So mm-hmm. so you don't have to fit a perfect mold. You just have to be willing to get better. And I think you genuinely have to enjoy it. So that's that's the only other thing I would add. Mm, great stuff. Thank you. If Thank you for sticking around for the after show. Uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, leave us a comment in the show note or in the, the reviews and share your thoughts with us. Uh, Tell us something that that really stuck out to you that really benefited you from the show. And uh, we will talk to you guys again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.